we are going to be getting into the Word, and we're going to be getting um, pretty deep into the Word. The goal right now is to start going through books of the Bible, starting with, I'm, I'm not going to let you guess, First Peter. Um, and so the plan is to start going through that. And the way this is going to kind of work, because of the way the time works here, we only have one-hour services, we're going to get to where we get to each time, okay? Each time we're going to kind of get to where we get to, and the idea here is that you're studying your Bible, that you're getting to know the Word of God more. So what I would recommend, this week's kind of an introduction to 1 Peter, so it's not going to be as important, but what I would recommend is that you bring your physical Bible or an iPad or whatever and something to take notes with so that you can have this, because the nice thing about when we go through something like this and a study like this is when you're done, if you have a notebook or whatever that you've used for 1 Peter, Every time you go back and you're reading that, if you read the Bible through the year, every year, whatever, you can go back to those notes and remember and continue to dig into the Word. And so I highly recommend that you do that, that you take notes. This week, it won't be as important. Like I said, we're kind of doing an introduction, First Peter, because I want you to have the background as we get into the book. So out of First Peter today, we're actually only going to read a couple of verses. We're going to read a lot of other scripture, but out of First Peter, only a couple of verses, because I want to get you some background. So uh, let me tell you a few things about First Peter. Uh, probably written about 60 to 65 A.D., somewhere in, in that area. Okay, so we're talking 30 to 35 years, somewhere in there, after the resurrection. Uh, we believe that it was written in, uh, in Rome. We can see here at the very end, last couple of verses, it says, She who was in Babylon, this is 1 Peter 5, 13-14, She who was in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus, amen. So Babylon, we believe there is not Babylon. Okay, Babylon at that time, wasn't, there was nothing happening. There was a Babylon in Egypt. There's no evidence that he was there. And we know that Christians would refer to Rome as Babylon uh, for a number of reasons. After 70 AD, after Rome destroyed Jerusalem, it was called Babylon because, of course, Babylon did the same thing. But prior to that, we're just talking about sort of the arch sinful city of the world. And so uh, we believe it was written in Rome. So you got to think Peter's here in Rome. He is not young. He's been, he's been serving the Lord since Pentecost. We think, you know, maybe something like 30 years has passed where Peter has been preaching and teaching and, and traveling and seeing these different churches and overseeing the ministry and doing all those things for, you know, about 30 years of, of uh, pastoring after the resurrection of Christ. That's, that's where we think we are. Uh, the apostle Peter is the author of the book. You could probably guess that by the name of the book. Uh, in the 1800s or so, there were some scholars who decided that Peter probably didn't really write First Peter because uh, the Greek is so excellent, and he was a fisherman, and so there's just no way he could do that. Um, well, here's the problem. That's nonsense. Uh, first of all, there's, nothing, there's no reason to believe that because he was a fisherman. He had zero education. Second of all, he could have used a secretary. And third of all, what we see with Peter, and we'll see it kind of in a minute as we sort of go through the life of Peter, uh, the Holy Spirit made Peter smart. Uh, the Holy Spirit took a fisherman and made him, uh, it, he's astounding. You know, Peter and John are out there, they're preaching. It's astounding, the leaders and so on, because they recognize that they weren't brought up in the traditional rabbinic teaching, schooling, and yet they know the word and they can speak it powerfully. So that's all nonsense. And frankly, until the 1800s, 
Everybody, the whole church from the early centuries on knew that Peter is the one who wrote this epistle, so I'm not going to get into that. And he says so. 1 Peter 5, what is 511? I wrote that wrong. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay, That means, I wrote it. I'm Peter, the apostle, not me, but he's saying this. The apostle of Jesus Christ, and this is who he's writing to. The dispersion, Okay, the Christians in, in these places, in all these places. So uh, the, where are these places? I've got a map for you here for those of you who like maps. Um, I've got this, the one up here is, is Turkey uh, in general. I've circled the area sort of that we see here where you see Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, and Asia, okay? This is where he's talking about. These are Christian churches in these areas that Peter is writing this letter to. This is an epistle, a letter, just like the letters we see from Paul, whether that's Romans or 1st and 2nd Corinthians or, and so on. This is a letter, and so you see it in the form of a letter where he starts with a greeting and so on, gets into the body of the letter, gets into the end of the letter. We'll see that as we walk through it. But today, as we get into it, it's because we're going to be in it for a little while, I want us to think about and understand and search the scriptures to think about how God used Peter. Uh, The Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write this letter to Christians, a very important letter, actually, although I don't know how much people think of it as one of their favorites. It's it's quite important. Um, And so we need to think about what kind of a man Peter was. And as we search the scriptures today and kind of think about Peter, we're thinking about the man that God used that the Holy Spirit inspired to write this book. If you have that in mind, I think it becomes easier to give context to what we're reading because when you know what someone's been through. And so what we're really going to sort of follow here is, is Peter's uh, journey as a Christ follower because we actually have tons of Peter. Read the Gospels, Peter, 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 Simon, Simon, Simon is Peter. This is just all over the place, right? First 15 chapters of Acts or so, particularly the first 12, Peter, 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 Peter. So we have all this information about Peter, and you probably have some ideas about Peter, and I want to walk through and look at his life in Christ, and I want us to think about our own life in Christ and where maybe there's some mirroring between Peter and us and the fact that Peter was used as he was in the church and even to write scripture by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we also have our ups and downs, and yet God can use us in powerful ways. And so he's, he's a Christ follower trying to follow Christ. That's who Peter is, and we are Christ followers trying to follow Christ. And so let's start with Matthew 4, 18 through 22. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and that's our guy, and Andrew, his brother, Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. We're going to find out sort of the rest of the story to me because this is, this is what Matthew talks about, all of which is true, but there's actually a fuller story that we see in Luke that I want you to, to realize um, that what you're going to see why they were mending their nets and what the relationship is between them. So let's look at that for a second. We're in Luke 5, 1 through 11. It says, so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood, I'm sorry, 
Yeah, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So Jesus is, hey, there's the people, they're pressing the water. It's, I'm, I'm running out of room here. So he gets on the boat. We're hoping that will happen here, that we just fill this room so much. We have to, uh, so he gets on a boat, Peter's boat. He's like, hey, I want to sit in your boat. Peter's like, cool, sit in the boat. So he goes a little bit away so he can teach from the boat. That, that's what's happening. Um, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, this is Peter, launch out into the deep and let your nets for a catch. But Simon answered him and, answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. So basically, I don't think this is going to work. I don't think you know fishing like I know fishing. Okay? But I'll do it because you said it, and so let's go. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So you have this, the same group of events, but this is a little more detailed. I think that when he talked about John is sitting there mending his nets, it's because of all the fish that they caught because they were washing their nets before. Now they're mending their nets after catching so many fish that they fill two boats that the boats are sinking. And we have Peter, Andrew, James, and John all being called at the same time. But Peter is the one who's really focused on here. And I want, I want us to think about what happens in his life right here. Peter, obviously he's hanging out there where Jesus is teaching. Wants to hear it, right? Let's Jesus get in this boat. When the fish get caught, he recognizes the power of the Lord. And in recognizing that, it caused him to recognize his own sinfulness. First thing we need to realize about Peter, I think, is that his conversion to Christ follower began with him recognizing the depth of his own sin. And his response to his own sinfulness was, get away from me. You, you gotta depart from me. You can't be around me. I'm a sinful man. But that's not what Jesus did. He didn't get away from him. He said, no, I'm going to use you. And so, yeah, Peter immediately is going to follow Jesus. Because in recognizing his sin, he recognized his lostness. And Jesus immediately throws out, no, you are not lost. I'm going to use you. I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. And that's what he does. And so this is Peter. This is Peter, the sinner, the sinner who says, depart from me, I can't be around you. That's where it starts. And immediately, Peter falls. I want to I suggest to you something. The more that you're able to see your own sin for what it is, the more you're going to love Jesus. And the harder you're going to follow him. 
The reason that God uses me the way he uses me is because I want him to so desperately. And the reason I want him to so desperately is I recognize how sinful I am. And I recognize what I've been safe from. Those of us who kind of do, we talked last week about, you know, the, the layer of saints. Hey, we're wealthy. We have need of nothing, right? What a, what a lack of recognition of their own sinfulness. We need Jesus. And when you recognize that he has forgiven you, that you don't deserve to be in his presence, and yet he said, no, no, I forgive you. I love you. Follow me. And you, you understand that? You're going to follow, as Peter did. As Peter did. Peter's also the first one to declare Jesus is the Messiah when asked. Listen to this. This is Luke 19, 9, 18 through 20. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and he asked them saying, who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. Peter recognizes that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah and says it. Now, this isn't something that Peter could have known by himself. It had to be revealed to him, as we read in another gospel, by the Father. But Peter is the one who comes because of love, because of forgiveness, because of the depth of that. And Peter is the one who recognizes by the revelation of God to his heart that Jesus is the Christ Peter's quick to talk. We'll find that out as we think about Peter. But not all the things he's quick to talk about are bad. Right there, he nails it while the other disciples are like, we don't know. People say this, people say that. We know you're good. We're following you. And Peter's like, no, this is the Christ. Big, big moment that Peter is the one who says that. So after that, we see that Peter gets a very special uh, moment with the Lord, and here's how it goes. This is Luke 9, 28-35. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him, this is James and John and Peter together, were heavy with sleep. It's not the first time we'll see Peter as sleepy. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, there's Peter, it's just going to say, there's just no filter, okay? Just brain, mouth. This is how Peter is. Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. Maybe that should be, not thinking about what he said, Right? While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud, and the voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. So, Peter sees this amazing thing. God reveals it to him on purpose, because God has a plan for Peter. So he shows him what we call the transfiguration. Clearly he's God. Here he is talking to Moses and Elijah. Here's the father saying, hey, listen to him, and so on. Peter's reaction is to talk, <laughs> which sometimes uh, the blessed quietness is a good idea, um, or at best, ask a question like, what does this mean? What's going on? Like, listen, I'm going to build you a house, and we're going ma- to make a theme park right here. <laughs> we're going to do the thing, right? So on one side, 
God is giving Peter this amazing thing and letting him see the transfiguration, which is only reserved for the three disciples who kind of made the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Meanwhile, Peter can't help but say things that um, are not that bright. Um, so we move on. Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Well, he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Important for us to remember to take time by ourselves to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, we're talking late at night, early morning, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. Ah. You have to imagine, you can't just read the words. These guys were crying out for fear, right? Just babies, right? There they are. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, who's going to talk? Well, Peter, of course. (laughs) Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He's wanting, to, he's wanting to, to, to be with Jesus. You'll always see that. Peter wants to be with Jesus. He wants to be close to him. He also wants to show his face. So he says, command me. Because he knows that the Lord commands him to do something. He's going to give him the ability to do it. Something you may want to think about when we talk about the Great Commission and we talk about what God's called you to. He doesn't command you to do things that he's not going to give you the ability to do. And so Peter knows this. Command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And Peter And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Obviously, we could do sermons on just this passage. It's important for you to understand, though, that this is Peter and this is part of his experience. Part of his experience is is starting out with lots of faith and willingness and wanting to be close to Jesus, but sometimes looking at his circumstances and being fearful. And when it's in the faith, it's powerful. He got to walk on water. And when he starts looking at the fear and the circumstances, he fails and he falls. But the Lord always saves him. This is not the first time we will see this in Peter's life. Luke twenty-two thirty-one 31-34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, this is Peter. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. So you've got to think about this like you've read, if you've read the book of Job. Right? Satan's wanting to tear Peter up because he's a person who's showing all this faith. And so my guess is Satan's wanting to tear him up to show that his faith's not real. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Well, that's an ominous thing to say. What do you mean when I've returned to you? I'm with you right now. I ain't going anywhere. That's what Peter's thinking. So he says, but he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Let's do this thing. Right? Ready to go. That's Peter. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Now, Peter, once again, is in the state of, 
I've got the faith, I trust you, I wanna be near you, so I'm not gonna be separated from you, and I'm willing to face anything with you. That's where Peter's at. That's, that's the story of Peter. Little overconfident, I think, especially when the Lord has already said, when you return to me, that means you're going. If the Lord says, when you return to me, it is a foregone conclusion that you're going. So once again, something we see is sort of this arguing Peter. But Lord, no. Lord, we already fished all night. Fine, I'll do the thing. Right? Lord, no, no, I'll, I'll never leave you. You just said I will, but I'm telling you I never will. He gets in a lot of trouble when Jesus talks about, and I'm not gonna, we're not going to go into that passage today, but Jesus talks about going to the cross, and Peter says, no, no, that will never be you. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Right? Peter is, is an arguer. We're going to see it some more when, he taught, when, we, when we have the animals come down in the sheet. So, but let's, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. This is Matthew 26, 36 through 45. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. That's James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Now, before we keep reading this passage, I want you to remember what's happened, okay? Jesus has told them he's going to his death. Judas has betrayed him. They've had the, they've had the last supper. Jesus has told Peter, Satan's asked us if you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith will stay strong and you're going to deny me, all of which Peter denies. I'm going to be with you forever. That's, that's the mindset that Peter's in in this moment. While Jesus is saying, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorrowful. I'm going to afraid. Please watch with me. Be strong. Be alert. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cut pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's a lot of sermons right there, too. Well, let's move on. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. That's a command of the Lord. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. I've already told you temptation is coming. I've already told you Satan's after you. I've already told you you're going to die on me. And you're sleeping? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it. Your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. So here's Peter, all faith, all vigor, vim and vigor, and then not. Then when, right when the, when the battle's at its hottest, not alert, not ready, overconfident that he'll never leave the Lord, so much so that he's just going to take a nap when Jesus commanded him to be awake to pray that his faith was going to be tested. So he slept three times. We're going to see that with Peter three times is important. I'll give you one more three times thing, and then we're going to end this one for today. We'll come back to the life of Peter, and then hopefully get into uh, the text of 1 Peter after that. All right, so where are we at? Luke twenty-two fifty-four through 62. Having arrested, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them and a certain servant girl, okay, this is a girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this, this man was also with him. 
with Jesus, he's saying. But he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also is with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Three times. That's what the Lord said. That's what Peter did. Not once, not twice, but three times. Not long before, Peter is confidently saying, I will go with you to prison and to death. And then when a girl says, hey, I think you might be with them, he's denying the Lord. Three times. Peter is complicated. I would submit to you that so are you, and so am I. I would submit to you that we are all complicated and that we all have our failings and need the forgiveness of a Savior, which we will see, Lord willing, next week when we come back as we continue through the life of Peter and then to the text, we will see that the Lord is, in fact, forgiving. Keep in mind these sort of three times things, because as we see them, I want you to think, how many times does the Lord have to tell you something? Because I think we look at these kinds of things and we see there's multiple times where, where there's three times. We're going to see that Jesus asks him if he loves him three times. We're going to see that, uh, that Peter has to have the sheet with the animals with the unclean food three times and so on. What, how many times do you have to be talked to? Because I look at Peter, I'm like, dude, how many times does God have to? It's God. Why, how come you don't just believe him? Why don't you just do what he says? And I go, wait a second. I think my timer might be like 300. Right? Years sometimes, right? With the Lord saying, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And we're like, no, we know better, we know better, we know better. Why do you keep hitting your head against the wall then? Why do you keep hitting your head against the wall? Right, that's, that's the life that we live. Three's pretty good. I want us to think about, as we're gonna read this, this book, and I, because it's important that you think about who God used to write this, who the Holy Spirit inspired to write this. This is a person like you, like me, that's got faith sometimes and sometimes is looking at the waves. That wants desperately to be with Jesus, but also can deal with fear and let it move him. And we're actually gonna see it through his whole life that that's, that, that's the back and forth for Peter. And so I, I'm not saying that it's good, that he's fearful, but I am saying give yourself enough of a break as you follow Jesus Christ, to recognize that you're going to need some forgiveness because from time to time, you're not going to have the moxie that you need. Meanwhile, build it up. Because we will also see Peter as an extremely powerful, unafraid proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And of course, in the letter that he writes here, he does so as well, but he does so in some extremely difficult circumstances. And of course, the historical, what we believe happened was that Peter was martyred, um, actually crucified, possibly upside down, on the cross, so he went to death, which Jesus predicted he would. This is the man that God used. I submit to you that you are the woman or the man who God is using, just like Peter. And so as we go through this, I want us to, to focus our hearts on asking the Lord, how are we to be used as Peter was used? I recognize that I'm not perfect. I recognize that if, if, if justice was justice, he would depart from us, but grace is grace. 
And so he does. And so we need to think about as serious Christ followers, how God wants to use us. So I'm going to have you just quietly pray for about a minute, and then we're going to take communion and sing. So just, just pray in your hearts for just a minute to yourselves.